Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket. I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. Uh, a book or a film or a TV show or a record that makes someone feel safe. Uh, something they return to again and again and never lets them down. So I'll have a natter about it and see if we can work out just what it is about their choice that makes them feel so good and how it does its magic. This time I'm talking to the writer and journalist Kathleen Moran. Kathleen is a big figure in UK journalism and well known for her book uh, How to Be a Woman and has written screenplays and novels and things and uh, is just generally an all-round good egg. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a very important television series, Curvy Brides Boutique. Bride-to-be Leah is a size 22, but as a busy mum of four, she rarely gets time for herself. I never wear makeup. I'm not a dressy type of person. My typical day is either a black pair of trousers, jeans, or a pair of pajamas. <laughs> I love pajamas. So you have chosen a brilliant thing, and a thing people may not have heard of, yes. which is Curvy Brides Boutique. Obviously, uh, something which is talked about on podcasts all the time. Yes. So this might be one of many Curvy Brides Boutique discussions you've heard this week. What is it about Curvy Brides Boutique that you love? Well, it, it took a while to choose Curvy Brides Boutique because there is, <laughs> once you're into the brides buying a dress genre, you've got a lot to choose from. So there's, Curvy Brides Boutique is my favourite, but there's also Say Yes to the Dress. And there's many Say Yes to the Dresses. So there's Say Yes to the Dress in York, there's Say Yes to the Dress Atlanta, there's Say Yes to the Dress Yorkshire. It's like uh, CSI. Yeah, millions of them. The Say Yes to the Dress Lancashire is my favourite of the genre because that's <laughs> presented by Gok Wan. Oh, right. He brings his own twist to it. He will basically make a dress every week. So like every time a girl wow. comes in and goes, I can't find the thing I want he'll just draw something like on the back of an envelope go is this the kind of dream dress you want she'll be like yes and he'll make it and he's the patron saint of these kind of shows so basically it's, it's like it's been given a royal assent yeah he spent 30 years making women feel good about themselves I once interviewed him and I walked down the street with him at the height of his fame in uh, How to Look Good Naked and I've walked down the street with Emma Thompson Lady Gaga Benedict Cumberbatch Robbie <laughs> Williams I've never had a response like I did walking down the street with Gok. Like, that was the biggest public response That's I've so ever had. Nice. Women just running across the road tearfully going, you make me feel good about myself. Wow. And that is the key, too. That's why I love Curvy Brides Boutique, because generally, as a culture, we don't go out of our way to make women feel good about themselves. Like, yes, it's usually the reverse. Yes. Most TV is basically to make women feel agitated and adrenalised that they'll buy something in the advert break. Say no to the woman is the usual format. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this is exactly say yes to the rest, say yes to the lady, say yes to happy and joy and, and personal acceptance within the format of a very fluffy half-hour show where ostensibly a woman is just trying to buy a dress. But of course, there's so much more to it than that, Joel. <laughs> it's the layers below it. Yes. This is what we might call heavily formatted television. There's something really comforting about heavily formatted television. You mustn't be cynical about it because it just works. In the same way that a sandwich is a very heavily formatted snack. Like, you know, <laughs> every time it's going to be some bread, some butter, and then whatever's in the middle, free time, help yeah. yourself. But you know what you're getting. So in this, ostensibly, there is a woman who needs to buy a dress for her wedding day. But within that, we get to go through the entire experience of womanhood. And it always starts the same way. We, we start with the voiceover. You get Lisa Tarbuck, always a sign that you're about to have a quality, emotionally supportive experience, televisually or on the radio. I felt happy the moment I, I pressed play on this and went, oh, we're all right. Yeah. It's okay. Tarbuck's here, yeah. It's like sort of Oliver Postgate, but for dress buying. It Literally. makes you go, oh, so pair of hands. Yeah, we're entering the lovely world. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's an eye the engine type level of comfort here. <laughs> so ostensibly, 
in the one hand, it's just about a woman buying a dress. Uh, but on the other hand, it's kind of everything in half an hour uh, about being a woman, <laughs> about love, about bodies, about politics, about society, about history, about money, about class. So we open with a bride in a car and she's driving to a specialist boutique out in the Essex countryside where two curvy women, Joe and Ali, run a curvy bride's boutique where for the first time these women will walk into a room and everything in there will fit them. Yeah. And within all these dresses, these beautiful wedding dresses, they will find the one that allows them to look in the mirror and go, I'm ready to be married. So it seems really simple. Like, kind of like, you know, the, the satisfaction is at the beginning of it, there's a problem. Bitch doesn't have a dress. <laughs> at the end of half an hour, that bitch has a dress. But within that half an hour, the women often have to go on, as they say, a journey, which always seems very natural because they've entered a space where they can talk about why they're big their history, their history with clothes, their history of fashion, their relationships, how they feel about their bodies, often how they feel about their families and views that they've inherited about themselves from their mothers. Often there's a mother sitting on the sofa overseeing the whole thing and usually saying quite poisonous and spiteful things. To help her find her dress, she's brought along her sister Zoe and straight-talking mum, Belinda. You don't want it looking like it's coming from just from your yeah, underneath your breasts, because yeah. that look nice, like a bad fairy from a <laughs> pantomime. And with the help of Joe and Ali, who run the boutique, the curvy bride will be taken through understanding why she's felt she felt terrible about herself before she walked into this shop, and why at the end of it she's actually going to feel good about herself. And they do that all without requiring any actual makeover elements. So it's not no one has to go outside and change their life, or lose weight, or go on any kind of boot camp. It's all done within the store and just done with talking and fabric. Okay, Leah, how are we doing? Oh, selection. <laughs> right, you've got some fabulous dresses. Yeah. This was me mum's pick. Right. So. Fabulous. And then these were the other two that Joe had picked as well, so. Okay. But they're me favourite ones. These so, are yeah. the favourites. Yeah. Let's start some Yay! magic. <laughs> Come with me. Yeah. yeah, and beautifully it says, I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's obviously a huge wedge of feminist thinking that goes, a dress can't change your life. It's a huge political issue to be a woman and it will take your entire lifetime to get acceptance. But this show goes, yeah, no, sometimes a dress can change your life. Like kind of you can have a conversation whilst putting on a dress and at the end of it, you will have changed your life. And it, and it shows as well, like kind of like how overly effortful most makeover shows are. It will involve a month of like dental surgery and kind of physiotherapy and Botox and kind of like seeing a therapist and stuff. No, there's two girls from Essex just sitting there, just giving some lovely kind of like your dirty fag smoking arty <laughs> advice all the way through this dress buying uh, uh, issue. And at the end of it. Bang, the life has changed. It's the most, it's the fastest and most effective makeover I've ever seen. And the reason that you will often find yourself crying, and I know you cried when you watched it, is because you realise that women are told that in order to accept themselves, it might take a lifetime. Yeah. And this show shows you that no, actually, what most women need is a half an hour and three dresses to try on, and they could have their lives changed and how they feel about themselves changed. But the heartbreaking bit is that that's never happened to them up until this point. Yes. I want this dress. Oh. Hold on a minute, I thought, I thought that you were really indecisive. Well... Go on, say it again. Yeah, go <laughs> I want this dress. I just knew. I just knew it was the one. No one has ever taken the time to talk to them for half an hour about how they feel about their legs. <laughs> <laughs> or how a dress would make them feel better. And that in that moment, finally, that, that, that thorn that has been in their side, that little bit of poison that's been in their heart, is removed. It's like within half an hour, it's like, yeah, finally we're going to have the talk where you actually feel good about yourself. Unless you've walked in a plus-size lady's shoes, you will never know how they feel. We have. We know. I'll hold your hand. We'll do it together. Yes. It's very strange because I think everyone understands in their heart you have an outfit you feel okay in. Mm -hmm. Most people do. You're going to work outfit or you're going to see friends outfit. Maybe two or three of them that you feel really good in. So everyone knows that no matter what state their body's in, they have dressed, they found somewhere in their wardrobe something you feel okay in. And the problem is when someone says, it's a wedding, you need to change that dress. And what this show is saying is that there was nothing wrong with you. These are clothes you only wear once. Mm -hmm. So of course you don't know which one to wear because your, I don't know, your cardigan, you can't wear your cardigan. I find that really, really hard when, if you ever have to do publicity photos for anything. And always the rules are, Yes, you mustn't wear black and you mustn't wear this. And you, but I always wear, you mustn't wear, uh, mustn't wear big collars. I always wear big collars. So you end up not dressed as yourself. And this is like, really you know, hard. as a woman, you know, vaguely slightly in the public eye, like kind of like, it's astonishing to me still. And I write about feminism and like kind of, I write about these things all the time. But the majority of events that I go to or photo shoots that I have to take part in or TV appearances that I make, I couldn't turn up 
as I am, which would be having spent 30 seconds putting on some eyeliner, wearing a pair of dungarees and a shirt and some Crocs. Being yourself. Yeah, you are absolutely. And it's interesting, like, you know, I stopped doing comedy panel shows after the first three because I just realised I could go on Twitter and talk to more people and I have to leave the house and go on the way to <laughs> Shepherd's Bush and went around for four hours. But the main thing that I noticed when I was doing radio and TV uh, panel shows is that all the men are in the green room having a couple of drinks, kind of like, you know, sort of like yeah. testing the ground, testing some material out, working out what their vibe is. All the women are taken off into hair and makeup um. and they spend two hours staring in the mirror at their own faces and having their hair done and talking to hairdressers, some of whom are funny, you know, kind of like, but they're not going to be giving you the high level bants that the men are getting in the room with the men where they haven't had to spend two hours staring in the mirror and becoming dysmorphic about how they look. Yeah. And they haven't had to like talk to the stylist about her dog. Like kind of like the men are in there talking about politics and you're just going, oh, your mum sounds like a bitch. Yeah. Can you, can can you just take some of that foundation off? I think a little bit. But you're being told, you're effectively being told it takes two hours to make you acceptable. Yes. Pull on some trousers and lick your hair is a man's makeover. It's like that old saying, uh, why do women wear makeup and perfume? Because they're ugly and they smell. (laughs) (laughs) And often you feel like that as a woman. (laughs) The people keep putting makeup on you. Two hours work. Right. (laughs) So that's why on a wedding day where like, you know, you know, I mean, it's very common, I believe, for men the night before their wedding to just get really, really drunk and then Mm. kind of like and just turn really hungover just wearing the clothes that their wife probably bought them on the end of the bed. For women, like a wedding is usually at the end of a year-long process. Like you can go online and find these apps that'll give you a year-long countdown to your wedding. Like it's something you will have talked about since you were four. And on that day, you are at your thinnest and most perfect. And it will have been a year-long effort to get to that moment. Because when they open the doors of the registry office of the church and you come down the aisle, everyone has to go, (gasps) and if they don't go, (gasps) you failed as a woman. Yeah. And that's the girls who turn up at Curvy Brides Boutique have never had anyone go, <gasps> because they're fat and they will have just been wearing leggings or tracksuits. They've never bought a pretty dress. Uh, you know, what you hear over and over again is like, I've never worn a dress. I've never gone into a shop where I can buy, wear something uh, or buy something. Like nothing has ever fitted me. People will laugh at me when I go into a shop and ask for something nice. And they go into this magical world, this lovely little big girl Narnia, where there's two <laughs> lovely women who are going to talk them through all their traumas and open up a cupboard and it's all full of stuff they can wear. And just that is a mind blowing thing. Like I was a big girl when I was young and like my friend was a size 10 and we go to Dorothy Perkins and she could wear anything in that shop and I could wear nothing in that shop and so I just stopped thinking of shops I only bought things from jumble sales and charity shops and men's clothes that I would wear I just when I walk past a shop a big girl will see a town completely differently from yeah. a, a thin woman a thin woman will be like oh yeah I don't like the shops, stuff in there yeah. yeah but I can go in there I could buy something or if, if tomorrow if like someone said I'm going to whisk you away for a mini break in Paris they could go out and buy something that yeah. day for tomorrow Big girls are like, no, I'll have to like contact the mail order catalogue and wait six weeks for it to arrive. Or I'd have to travel to another town to find something. And even then, most of the stuff, even in a big girl shop, won't suit me. Um, so it's a different way of looking at the world. You think most, you think clothes aren't for you and prettiness isn't for you. And in this shop, everything is for these girls. And it's often the first time in their life they felt the freedom of feeling normal. Deep in the Essex countryside is Britain's most exclusive plus-size boutique. Welcome to our little bit of plus-size paradise. Oh, wow. Every every episode, there's two or three brides, and you'll see them heading towards the Curvy Brides Boutique, which is right out in the middle of the countryside. And uh, she'll be going... My wedding is coming and I need to buy a dress. And then within the crew, you'll have one of two or three different scenarios. There'll be uh, either supportive friends who just really want this day to work out well and they know how hard Jen finds it to find a dress. Or there'll be usually a mother, a terrible mother, who's got some agenda of her own. And yes. during the course of I this mean, episode, we're going to have to sort out her problem before we can buy this bitch a dress. That's just the way mum is. She's, she's just, br- let's put it brutally honest. I'm here to tell her if she looks like a hippo or not. It's as simple as that. (laughs) The Disney stepmothers, Mm. the Mother Godel, the tangled mums in this, I found... A brilliant. I was not expecting that layer. I wasn't expecting them to go there and say, actually, hang on, a lot of these women's problems don't come from these women. They come from these women here. And I thought that was very well, uh, subtly done. And also... The number of women I know who go, I think I can see where it's getting in. <laughs> and it was that. It was, it was the, they were prepared to do that diagnosis in a fluffy program to say, this is about family dynamics. Trust me, pet mother knows best. And the perfect thing is because Joe and Ali, who run it, who if anybody watches it, they will love it. So they're two big girls who've run this boutique that only specialises in big girls. And they've just got the perfect attitude because they clearly are having their best lives. They need to go meet Joe and Ali and have a big woman who's successful in their life to say, you look beautiful, here's some dresses for you. Because very often the, the antagonist 
in Curvy Bride's Boutique is a mother who's sitting on the sofa who mm. has dealt with her own body image bullshit, probably was disappointed in her own wedding dress and her own wedding and is now going to try and live through her daughter. And she will be sitting on that sofa for the first couple of dresses they try on going, that makes your hips look huge. Yeah. You know that colour doesn't suit you. I want to see you in a princess dress. I'm paying for it and I've always imagined you in a princess dress. And this battle for yeah. like kind of like, the, you know. Ownership. Someone's going to be beautiful for a day and I want to have a say in it. I will not yeah. be ever beautiful and young again. I will never be a princess for a day again, but I want to buy into your day. I want to have, I want to live through you. So it's this huge, it's like kind of I, Luke, Luke and Vader level I battle thinking, between the I generations. I was surprised. I was surprised how, in the best way, how Disney it is. Mm. But when people say Disney, they mean cheesy and, I mean, no, no, I mean Disney. I mean Disney fairy tale dark. As in, this has... The big bride's dress, the Beauty and the Beast thing. They're always talking about Cinderella. They're always talking about Beauty and the Beast. They were talking about wanting to be a princess. But with a princess comes a wicked stepmother. Yes. And the witch. And it's got... Uh, weirdly, we're, we're now pushing towards this being one of the great mythic shows of all time. This is huge. This is this is Jungian. It's massive. Oh, literally. But once you've watched a couple as well, you realise that it does that Disney thing of then going back and make the prequel Maleficent, where you realise <laughs> how these evil witches and yeah. stepmothers ended up being like this. Because, of course, they've been screwed over by exactly the same patriarchal the stuff story. the daughters have. So so by the end of it, what you think is just a mother and daughter battle over a thousand pound dress is actually these two women sitting down and for the first time having a conversation where a mum's going, as soon as I saw that you were putting on weight when you were six or seven, I knew what the rest of your life was going to be yeah. like. I didn't want you to be like me I knew that people would never see you as the cool girl or the sexy girl like kind of like every time you cry because you're fat I feel bad that I was never able to make you feel good about yourself and they come to see Joe and Ali to finally have a benign kind woman come in and mend this relationship for the first time they get to see two women who aren't screwed up about their weight and their size going it's fine your life has started just pick one of these dresses and be alive yeah and yeah be alive be in your life I like it Oh, Nicola, looks like one of those toilet roll dolly things. Well, I don't like this it now. Because you go through layers. It's like the, there is an onion to Curvy Bride's Boutique <laughs> or any of these formats. So, so the first couple you watch, you'll go, big girls find it difficult to buy a dress. And you can watch it just on that level. Then after a couple of episodes, you'll go, big girls find it difficult to find a dress. Not just because there aren't that many in the shops, but because their mothers are being very controlling of this. Yeah. And they have a particular vision of how their daughter should look. So you're like, oh, boo the mums. Then you go back another layer and you go, oh, the reason the mums are causing all this problem and having all these ideas for how their daughter should dress is because they have been completely screwed up by their body image. Yeah. They have never felt like a princess and they are now trying to live their lives through their daughters. And then you pull back from that and you go, oh my God, all of society was complicit. Yeah. And hopefully in 27 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we can fix this. Yes, all of society's ills will have been fun when this girl walks through the doors of the dressing room and goes, I look pretty. And that's often the key moment. You will see a girl looking in the mirror for the first time and smiling and going, I look pretty and she will say it in a voice that is unused and cracks yeah. slightly and is dusty and you go that's the sentence you've never said before isn't it yeah you've never said that this is the first time that you've ever looked in the mirror and smiled oh my god you look stunning <laughs> oh it's beautiful isn't it yeah it's really beautiful you don't look sold mum no, I'm getting emotional. That's right. Oh, cry. Please cry. Don't cry. I do actually love that length. I just want to ask you how you feel. I want you to describe how you feel. I feel beautiful. That's it. That's it. Oh, don't cry. And I, I've been a big girl. I'm still not a small girl. I come from a big family. I have a lot of big friends. And I know women who are now in their 50s who have never looked in a mirror and said that. So ostensibly, you're just watching someone buying a dress for their wedding day. But what you're actually doing is seeing women having an emotional experience that they've never had before until they're in that room putting that dress on. And that's why I keep coming back to it, because there's such relief yeah. in seeing a girl for the first time look herself in the eye in the mirror and smile and go, oh, I look really pretty. This is my dress. The format is hinged on the phrase, is this the dress? Yes. Or this is the dress. There's, a, there's almost a format point where the, the women say, is this the dress? And you know what the subtext is. It's not, is this the dress? It's, is this you? Yes. Is this the girl? Yes. Is this the woman? Yeah. Open your eyes. I'm a shape. So this is actually you, this is a dress, not a miracle. I think that's the bit I'm finding hard. There is a complete stranger looking back at me. I didn't recognise that person. I've never seen that person before. It's like putting on an alien suit. Look how amazing you look right now. And because of the thing that's unsaid, 
And the response is the response we get, oh, there I am. Yeah. I had a punch in the tear ducts. I cried and I knew the music was coming up. You knew it was coming. But that is this address. And the girl says, yes. Yeah. And you know, because of the way the format works, she's, you've seen her put on two or three dresses that don't make her feel like the princess she dreamed of being or the pretty girl she dreamed of being. It's fuck all to do with the dress. Yes. It's to do with the mirror. Well, also, you can tell as well, like once you've watched a couple, before they've said anything, you know if it's the dress or not, because you watch their eyes. Yeah. And when they come out in a dress that they don't like, that they feel fat or awkward or ugly and or not themselves, they will just look at their face. They will not look down. And yeah. when they step out and it's the right dress, they'll look at their face. And then you can see they they feel brave enough for the first time to go down, to like go down and scan their whole body and then look back up again. And like you can tell again that that is a, a, a journey that their eyes have not taken before. They've looked at their whole body. And I was looking at interviews with Joe and Ali. So the so the Curvy Brides Boutique is run by Joe and Ali, who are two. Their size and their weight fluctuates. They've both been really big girls in their time. They've lost weight. They've put weight on and stuff. So they're totally there with the whole journey. Yeah. And they're like a non-judgmental Trini and Susanna. Yes, they're, they're from that format. But there was something about them, and it might just be me growing up where I grew up. I went, oh, aunties. Yes. Um, they're basically Essex aunties. And you know that 50% of what they'll say in a day is, go on, girl. <laughs> That's a bit of you. Like, it's all positive stuff. And you know that they would sit around the table slagging off bad men and bad mothers. <laughs> there's also a very, there's a, a recurrent trope that you'll notice in the show that when they, so say they're diff- dealing with a difficult mother who's got ideas about what this dress should be, they'll sort of give each other some eye contact and be like, we should go and talk about this in private. And then they go outside into the little decking area of the Curvy yeah. Brides Boutique. And there they will very overtly drink a glass of orange juice but clearly they don't usually drink a glass of orange juice yeah. out there they've got the Rothmans out like the extra long ones probably in a holder and they're chain smoking going that without the cameras there chain smoking going that mother is a bitch we have got to cut her dead with yeah. the cameras there glass of orange juice and like I can see there are problems with the mother <laughs> we're gonna have to tackle her first let's build this confidence yeah you know what take control and oh, don't yeah. let mum absolutely take over thank you very much mum but we'll take over yeah. from here Actually, the visible formatting in this is really nice. I think it's aware that you're watching it and know what the rules are. You can see through it to what they're doing. There's there's no sense that this is the first time that this production company has made a programme like this. Yes. And there's no sense that you as a viewer, this is not your first rodeo, you know the rules for these shows. What I liked about this was its generosity of knowing you know that between the shots, yes. they are being honest with each other and this is a digested version of it. It didn't feel fake, even though it's a massively faked format these kind of shows are produced and uh, shepherded within an inch of their lives. But it felt like, oh, this is their honest opinions. Oh, totally, yeah. And there's been, they've only ever tried to alter the format once, I think maybe in series six or seven. They obviously decided that they needed to show a bigger world. So right. you would see, sometimes Joe and Ali would go to a wedding and help dress the bride. I immediately don't like this. I yeah. Don't like this. It's wrong. It, it, wrong. Or there'd be some subplot, like maybe yeah. they were training another girl to come and help in the Curvy Brides Boutique, oh. or one of them maybe was like buying a car and they so were chatting they about it. first dates. I don't give a shit about the waiters' lives. Oh I my hate God, that. literally. Don't stop it. I don't, I don't need to. There's know. a story I'm following just i like those guys they're not the fucking story yes cut away yeah no no exactly i don't need to now go into b plots no. with this sort of surgery class you don't need to make them more real to me i just like the fact it's it's like trumpton you know it's like yeah. you know it's like the, the 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 clock going in and out all the bits are in the right place at the right time they come in they go out this I don't is want... comfort viewing trumpton's a really good example this has got the heavy formatting of the teletubbies yes good formatted television it's always the same it's unchanging it's ever-changing and that's why you can binge watch that's why channels can just run these things in a row and you will always despite your intention to watch the new netflix harrowing drama or the thing on bbc one about prison life you'll go to these first because they're they're always the same do you ever watch that when you watch the first date and you go i've seen this one before don't care oh absolutely every time and and catfish as well which is another yeah. amazing format like exactly and i don't need that format to change because within it is infinite variety like yes. if you would think it's the simplest thing in the world for a woman to buy her wedding dress but it's not every single one of those stories although there are often same beats and stuff every single woman has a different set of you know often traumas that have brought her there yes. you know you can start really deep and that's when you start crying i feel like a, a joint of gammon so the reason i chose curvy brides boutique over over say yes to the dress any of the say yes to the dress interests is because it's always big women and fatness bigness the big body positivity movement is one of those things that hasn't had as much time and care dedicated to it as other uh, underrepresented minorities there's still this thing of like basically fat people are lazy it's their fault they're not as exciting they're not as interesting like kind of you have a relatively small problem you should go and wait and sort it out yourself there's a feeling when i watch tv it's the same for, weird it feels like tv sometimes is the same as when you go to uh, into a clothes shop and they don't stock the clothes that fit the average body as an, almost like an aggressive act. 
that TV's got one of those things you have at the beginning of a fairground ride where you have to be under this, over this height to ride the ride. Totally. You have to be, you have to fit through this narrow gap to get on television. Yeah. We were watching the BAFTAs uh, a couple of days ago and I went, it's kind of a thinness competition on a red carpet. The main reason these people are interesting is they're incredibly hungry. Oh God, absolutely. And, and beautiful, I get that. I get we've got this standard. We've decided to equate the two of those. That's fine, that's great, brilliant. But I am just watching people, including the presenters, just talk about how thin they are. Yeah. Um, and what's strange about it is to watch a programme in which everyone is the average size and plus. Well, also, the other thing is with famous big people, the few big uh, girls and and men that make it, very often, more than 50% of them, the thing that will happen is they will then, as soon as they've got fame and money, start losing weight. Yes. Rebel Wilson being the most obvious example recently. Yes, an Adele thing. Yeah, exactly. And then Melissa McCarthy, and everyone goes on kind of like, you know, and obviously your body, you're doing it for, you know, you do it for your reasons, we should all stop talking about women's bodies, but it's very notable that the story is that, like, kind of as soon as you have the resources and the time, then you need to, like, sort that problem out and become small again, rather than just stage you are and yet you've got a situation in this thing you talked about the 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 flick of the eyes down towards the dress and i was watching one this morning where a woman said i've got a mirror at home and it's just my face Mm. and i hadn't thought about that and thought yeah i mean i don't suffer from this i'm a man but i still do a thing where most of the time when i see my face it's on a zoom call a selfie Mm. i very rarely see what i look like from the chin down and i'm older now so I'm, i'm a different shape than i used to be the idea that this girl had only ever looked at her head. And she was saying that she used to be a size 10, size 12, and she'd put on weight. She didn't look down. And you thought, this is a really strange culture that says, don't look at yourself. She didn't have a full-length mirror in the house. She was a girl who clearly loved clothes. Her friend was very, very sort of fashiony and dolled up. This is clearly something she'd had in common with her best friend the whole of her life. And she'd suddenly had it cut off from her. The things she loved, dressing up, looking good. She had a beautiful face and loads of eye makeup and loads of hair. She was looking after the top foot of her body. Which is the allowable bit. So I was a very big girl in a very big family. My mother was big and we had no full-length mirrors in the house. We wow. had one very small mirror sort of halfway down the stairs. So if we wanted to know how we looked in an outfit, you'd walk down the stairs and then you'd have to kind of toggle between three stairs, kind of crouching oh up and down God. and then compiling a composite in your head of what you looked like, having to like do like, a montage of what like you looked like. Like the front cover of more songs about buildings and food by Talking Heads, Literally a load of Polaroids. Yeah, 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 in your head. I'm like... <laughs> And so and so we were taught at home, so we didn't go to school, so we didn't leave the house that much. So on the rare occasions, we'd go out and we'd be in town and we'd go past a window where we could see our reflections. Oh me God. and all my sisters and brothers, would, we would not recognise ourselves in the mirror because that was the only time we were seeing. And this is obviously a time before video cameras. You know, yeah. we'd seen no filmed footage of ourselves. Like, you know, we would take maybe, you know, 24 pictures a year with a proper camera and get them yeah. developed. So we literally didn't know what we looked like. And it's a very common thing. And I've talked to a lot of people who were big when they were younger are still big now, that you, because you don't see bodies like yours in the world and because you're not even seeing your body often, you just think of yourself as like a head. One of the hardest things for Helen is to actually look in the mirror and see the whole self. We're so used to looking in the mirror and we just see that because we choose not to look at that. But now you've got no choice. You've been forced to look at I am. I'm not used to it, so I'm trying not... not, I'm looking, no, I'm not. So I'm looking more at Catherine than... But you need to look at yourself. I'm not too great at doing that. Like you are just a head, like a brain in a jar that is floating around and you just ignore the rest of it because it's too painful and because you're not seeing bodies like yours. So you have to presume, given the amount of images that you see in the world of all the bodies that don't look like you, you have to kind of presume that your body doesn't exist or you're going to have to pretend it doesn't exist. It's like, I'm not seeing that anywhere. I'm not seeing my own body. I'm not seeing anybody else with a body like mine. I'm just a head. That's a safe bit. Yeah. And if you, like, all the girls that I know who are best at putting on eyeliner and eye makeup or have the best hair, <laughs> they're all either big or have been big yeah. because it's all about what you can do with your head. Hair that grows. Oh, oh. Hair that flows. Oh, oh. Ribbons and bows, it's girls' world. Girls' world. Eyes that flash, cheeks that blush. Lips don't lush, it's girls' world. Girls' world. Daytime or nighttime. Good looks anytime, it's girls' world why this program is is interesting we're saying that there are clothes out there for you and that our society values you for what you look like but not you yep is a very strange thing to be told it's also crazy that it goes against all capitalism and everything that we're told about market forces i don't understand it as someone who is slightly passive to this Hmm. i go why don't they want your money well this is where you realize that's why again you know i I love this show and it obsesses me on a deep resonant level like kind of like almost 
look, capitalism will fuck anything and do anything. It's the unstoppable force. And when yeah. you find a place where capitalism will not venture, <laughs> it will not make clothes for these people. You have to go, wow. You know, they are so much lesser. Like I've got, th- you know, I've got lists of women in my head who I know have been disproportionately bullied or savaged on social media because they're fat girls. Like Lena Dunham and the way that she was mm. treated. I think it was very obviously a lot of that was we can pick on the fat girl. Like I'd have like, you know, yeah. there are many factors involved in this, but I think if she had been, you know, stunningly glamorous and thin rather than like, a, you know, a yeah. chubby half Jewish girl with sort of like a kind round face, if she'd had an angular stern face, I think she wouldn't have got half the shit that she got. So, Leah, yeah. you describe yourself, your words, as a bit of a plain Jane. Yes. Tell me about this. When did this happen? Have you always been like that? Always. I've never thought of myself as pretty. Really? Yeah. Oh, that makes me feel quite sad. I've always needed the reassurance that I, I look good in what I wear. Uh, I just I just don't feel 100% confidence in my own opinion. But we don't look into the because there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of reasons why you would be fat. I think it's just always presumed that it's because like you're lazy and poor and you eat shit. Mm. And like there's a whole bunch of reasons like, like hormonal stuff. Like, there are so many reasons hormonally why a woman will put on weight and not be able to lose it from thyroid, menopause, endometriosis, uh, uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, then then uh, poverty and your class is a huge thing. Yeah. When we look at the stats on obesity, so curvy brides boutique is just about curvy brides it's usually about poor brides as well yeah. when you watch something like say yes to the dress you'll have women going in there they're the thin girls and they're getting ten thousand pound dresses when you see the big girls buying their dresses they're like my budget is a thousand pounds which is still yeah. a crazy amount for a dress for those who haven't bought a wedding dress you'll be going what how can a dress be a thousand pounds but that's very cheap in the world of wedding dresses so it's so it's a it's a class thing um it's a health thing there are physical ailments that you can have that mean that you would not be able to exercise and also i, I wrote about this in how to be a woman like kind of like of, of all the addictions food is the one that we do not take seriously so if you're you know i I wrote in how to be a woman that like keith richards is like sort of taking heroin and speedballs and (laughs) shagging underage models and all this stuff and it's like well he's really glamorous he's fucked up he's glamorous because he's skinny yeah but if keith richards addiction and comfort of choice had just been mashed potato pints of custard (laughs) and like he'd come on stage wrecked from an overeating and binging session like kind of like it just would have been look at funny wobble bot keith he's not cool at all it would be the vanessa felt's friends fear she's drinking custard again it's that story which is funny yeah because we have that as a joke that's a cultural joke totally but we only ever talk about it as a joke whereas every other addiction now we know to take that seriously we know to like talk about these things and it's very notable that overeating is often the addiction and the comfort of women because if you are drinking or taking drugs or you know even smoking that impedes your ability to care for other people the baby doesn't want to hug you because you smell of fags or you know you're drunk so you can't look after your mum you're you know you're off your face and taking heroin whereas if you are a woman and you're a carer and you need to be responsible and you can never check out simply going and locking yourself in a cupboard and eating 17 Kit Kats means that three minutes later you're back to being there for everybody and I feel so protective of the fact that it's such a female thing that the way that we choose to screw ourselves up and deal with our problems is in a way that doesn't impact on anyone else and it just makes us even more looked down on Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The beginning of these stories is in Curvy Brides Boutique. Oh, there will be a, a life story behind it and a reason. The other thing that's got in it, which is really nice, is that someone loves you. Yes. Now, society has said these girls will be lonely and rejected because they'll be the fat best friend in the rom-com. 
But every one of these has found someone, a vast variety of different ages and sizes and wealth. And there are men who love these women because they're getting married. Yes. And sometimes the second time, whatever. And the beginning is this person is valued, but still will watch a journey where she finds out that she's valued. That's the other thing as well, because, again, another reason why I love Curvy Brides Boutique is that generally, pretty much everywhere else in our culture, it is presumed that your wedding day will be your thinnest day. Like yes. there is a massive thing that like you have. You can buy diaries. There are apps. There are websites that will give you like a year long countdown to your wedding. And that is the year that you spend losing your two or three stone and getting fit and doing your spray tans and stuff like that. The presumption is that you will be you when you get married, you will be very hungry. You'll be at your thinnest. Yeah. You'll be in your most glossy. You will look at your most perfect. You'll be at your highest value sexually yeah. and physically almost as if you're planting a flag in the sand going this was mint my best you can now watch me erode Slide. in appearance of value over the next 30 years of marriage but it's very much like well let's that is that, that's the whole idea you are supposed to be thin on your wedding day there's an assumption of value there that i think is really interesting about this and, and is one of the things that's odd about weddings as a thing that we've inherited from thousands of years of commodification of women and the trading of women mm. is that what you're supposed to, I talk to my wife about this a lot. And, and I, we did at the weekend, I was talking to some other friends and it was great watching the couples on the table. And I said to, I said, look, we, we're all been married for 10, 15, 20 years now. I said, was your wedding day the happiest day of your life? And all the women were quite happy to say no. Oh, good. They said girls, it was yeah. really stressful. Mm. And I went, oh, what it was is you were a commodity. You mm. were on display. Yes. You were the cake. Mm-hmm. And this is what we did that the women end up dressed as cakes. But the idea was that you were supposed to be wheeled in for everyone to admire, yes. to say you were of value, what a good trade this was, what good stock this is, what good breeding stock, what good value this is, this respects for all the men. I said, what do you remember about your wedding? I said, I remember I danced at ACDC and I had a lovely time. Yes. I got drunk. All my mates were there. It was a really good laugh. Talking to my wife and all my friends and their partners, and they all said they were so stressed. They realized they were being looked at, totally. inspected. And it was like a, a meat market or a horse trading thing where they were going to come and sort of look at your teeth. Well, literally, the, the moment where, because the whole staging of it, I mean, it all just brings me out in hives remembering it and thinking about how many women are going to be doing it today and tomorrow and the next day. But the staging of it is that, that everyone's in the room and then the bride comes yeah. in and then you have to have done something or all the things that are necessary for everyone in that room to go. <gasps> and if you don't get a... <gasps> You fucked it. Like, yeah, kind of, yeah. that was your moment. Like, that you absolutely have to, at that moment, make a whole room go, oh, and I can't think of any equivalent moment in a man's life. No. I guess it would be, like, I don't know, doing penalties in the World Cup. Like, I, kind of, and you've got to get it in the... I don't know what... Yeah, it's a net. high stakes, high stress thing. And all the narrative that we've had, even at the point where we even started listening to women about this, and the narrative was then, it's every woman's dream. This is what Kirby Brides Boutique's about. It's her big day. Mm. And I kind of started thinking recently, it's not. It's my big day as the groom. I've been told by all the years of men behaving badly, to go, oh, it's bullshit, I don't care about it. I had a lovely time. Yeah. Someone wheeled out a beautiful woman and said that she loved me. And then all my friends said, hooray, and we all got drunk. That's pretty much my dream day. Yeah. For the woman, it was deeply, deeply stressful. And Curvy Brides Boutique is a partly about the pressure on a woman to have the best day of her life when everyone's agreed she's not allowed to have it. Yes, totally. So that's the stakes. And you will have, and also there's that, you know, that whole thing that we know that women will have started planning their weddings when they were four or five. Yeah. And they've got these themes and they've got these ideas and they've got, you know, they've practiced it, they've rehearsed it. You know, one of the first things that a little girl will do is put a pair of tights on her head to make her look like she's got <laughs> long hair and then a neck curtain over the top of it and pretend to get married. And like, they've got all these ideas and they've got all these plans that they've spent their whole lives talking about it. And like, and then you sort of, and you know, if you talk to a woman who's in the middle of planning a wedding, you'd be like, oh, well, you know, what does your fiance want to do? What his ideas for this and stuff and she'll just be like ah. like you could literally bring on a balloon on a stick with his face drawn on it like kind of like in her mind well, that, that's why it um, matter. talking about great formative television that's why uh, Don't Tell the Bride was yes. such a brilliant format because the worst thing you can do is give the planning of the wedding to the person who's been told culturally it's not their big day weirdly they will then arrange it to be their big day where it will be uh, keepy uppies yes. and it will be themed around Transformers and the woman will have a horrible time and the guy will go a bit disappointing for me as well. No one enjoys it because the joke is the man's not meant to care. I go through different feelings with Don't Tell the Bride because obviously, you know, the first, I don't know, hundred you watch, you're kind of like, this <laughs> the is beginning, the, the beginning of the addiction. The before. Begin, yeah, the beginning, like the early years, the, th- the years <laughs> where you still think you're going to be able to kick it and there might be an exit point from, from the whole uh, Don't Tell the, uh, Tell the Bride plan. You're like, obviously, and obviously it's set up for you to think, these men are dicks. Like also, how have they never had a conversation with their wife about what kind That's of wedding amazing. they've had? Why, have you, why are you thinking that this woman who is water-phobic 
Bic and has had a blow dry is going to want to get married in a fish tank. I like loved it. It got to the point where the, the, the film was she's heavily peanut allergic and he's yeah. planning a peanut yeah. themed wedding. <laughs> so yeah, so obviously at the beginning of the first hundred you're like, this is terrible, this is the awfulness of men, they don't talk about this, they don't realise what this day is. But then as I sort of headed into the sort of like low two hundreds of, of having watched these episodes, I started thinking, but maybe there's a bigger lesson to learn here because they, the men are putting this wedding together in four weeks, like kind of like, and it is about fun. Like yeah. often, like, you know, not a fun that I would want to take part in, but they, they've just seen it for purely what it is. What would be an unusual one-off thing that you could do where everyone's going to get drunk and you don't really care about the bridesmaids' dresses and all the kind of yeah. stuff that women obsess about? What if a wedding didn't have to be the culmination of a lifetime sort of what like... What if it was just a party? Literally this. And so I start thinking, well, maybe there's a way that women... You start off thinking maybe the men need to learn from the women. They need to learn what what women see a wedding as and make their brides happy. And then now sort of I'm on, I don't know, 275. I'm like, no, maybe there's a bigger conversation for women to have going. Maybe we could learn from the men. Maybe, you know, men are dogs, basically, and women are cats. Women mm. are just sitting there like, you know, they don't like to get wet. That's science, planning. isn't it? That's been yeah, proved, literally, yeah. I've mm. seen the chromosomes. Um, and men are just like, ah, run towards some fun. Don't really need to think about this. And maybe women need to be more dog-like in their wedding. I think there's something to be said for just going, you know, I think maybe if there were, were more women who were like, yeah, why don't we get married on roller skates? It would do us all good. It would save us a huge amount of money. And also you don't need to be thin for the kind of weddings that men plan. Like yes. kind of like they are, you know, they're, they're jumping out of planes, they're on horseback or they, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're buggering off to Ibiza for a weekend and stuff. And it's not about, there's no, <gasps> in a yeah. wedding that a man plans. And I think women could maybe learn, learn into that and, uh, and gain some relief for that. What these women are struggling with is that when they look in the mirror, if they are brave enough to look in a full-length mirror, they don't look like a bride. Yes. They look like uh, a joke bride. So the, the the thing about being a fat girl is, and like when I wrote my movie, How to Build a Girl, and like there were many things I wanted to do, but one of them was just having a big girl hero who didn't have to lose weight. There were no jokes about her being fat. And she is, boys fall in love with her and fancy her. And they never go, oh, I fancy you, even though you're fat. There's no reference to it at all. Yeah. Because the only other time that you see fat girls in movies is in a montage where a man's going on a, the man's met the love of his life, Meg Ryan. And then he goes, but he can't get it. So he goes on a series of terrible dates and you don't even hear any dialogue. There's just a montage of like, kind of like a really fat woman a woman with some cats a woman who's brought her <laughs> mum with her and it's like and just by seeing a fat girl you know of course that can't be the love of his life like a, yeah. a and the, the first time you're called fat in a playground that's it feels like a life sentence the first time someone notices you're fat the first time you get a horrible boy or girl going you're fat when you're like four or five or six or seven it's not just simply that in that moment you've been called fat it's like okay you i've been now put in a category and i know where i belong i'm a punchline I'm the booby prize. I'm the wrong one before you meet the right one. Like kind of, I'm a thing that's going to have to either go through an amazing glow up and change my life. And that's my story. Or I will always be the punchline. I will never be the thing. I'm always the thing's best friend. Like I, I will never be the hero. Is that one of the things that's, that's empowering about this in the, this comes, this formatting comes from makeover shows. It's a makeover and reveal show. I love the fact that the reveal is just closing her eyes. Yes. Close your eyes. Open her eyes, and especially the moment where the girl won't open her eyes because mm. she's too frightened of what she's going to see. Okay, ladies, open your eyes. I don't want to now. <laughs> you do, you do, you really do. <gasps> wow. Oh my God. Just, uh, yeah, wow. Laura. I look kind of skinny. <laughs> I look sparkly. She's oh, just wow. perfect, isn't she? Yeah, it's perfect. Why does a dress make you like get this stunning fuzzy like, feeling? Like I just I think I look pretty. You look amazing. I don't look fat. That got me right There's in the gut. There's so many of those. That's I don't open eyes. God, I'm, I, that is a thing I think most people can relate to. You put on a what felt like great clothes in the changing room. Yes. You open eyes and go, oh, it's just me in them. Yeah. Um, I think everyone, no matter your gender, you, you've done that. You put on the perfect out outfit and it was someone else's perfect outfit. Yes, yeah, yours. yeah. Um, it's building up to this point where they've got to open their eyes and have this reveal. But the makeover show came from a very cruel form of television where the message was pre-Gok Wan, mm. you have to change. There are no clothes out there for you. The first thing you need to do is to go on this astonishing diet or whatever. Yeah. And this is a really nice product of the mark, the member of the public, doesn't change. What's changed is the way they look at themselves. 
And so many, I was thinking about this recently, I was sort of looking at, I think we're sort of starting to get to the point now where we're starting to analyse sort of early, late 90s, early noughties TV. Yeah. And like the thing that I've started to realise, like going back and watching like early episodes of Pop Idol or X Factor or like yeah. kind of any of these makeover shows, is that so much of it is based on humiliating members of the public and basically going, you should be more humble. They come on something and they're kind of like, you know, I, I feel like I'd be a, I could be a pop star or I'm on this reality TV show as a contestant, I want to be popular or I want to look nice, you know, I think yeah. I look nice now. The amount of people that you'd see on, on Trini and Susanna who'd be like I think I'm really stylish and they're like oh my god you're, no, you're so not. mad yeah. no and it's all about taking members of the public and absolutely destroying Back them in and your going, place. yeah you must be humble like kind of like only when the experts have told you how to be a person only when we've told you how to be a pop star only when we've told you how to dress or to sing or, or, you a know. television format that could look at Rylan and go there's no place for you on television <laughs> yeah. is clearly deranged right. yeah 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 or Stacey <laughs> Sullivan like yeah, kind they of were like, the joke contestants yeah. and yet the camera loves those people and they are brilliant at their jobs. The end. Hello, hi. Hello. What's your name? I'm Rylan. How old are you, Rylan? I'm 23. It's interesting how they've tweaked those formats. Now, if you go back and watch those early episodes of X Factor, it is brutal. Like, the yeah. kind of things they're saying. And people who are clearly mentally ill are being brought on and are being laughed at. And just, like, you realise how quickly that's changed now. Like, it's become, you know, it's become kinder within its, within its own definitions. But they're still basically sort of based on, let's just see how many people we can, you know, herd into a room and just belittle. And just because we we can show how excellent we are at these things. Yes, it's a Hunger games vibe of sort of people with huge pompadours judging the, the people covered in mud. One of the things we watched at the beginning of lockdown for comfort in the same way was we ordered the DVD from eBay of uh, pop stars. So which one's that? Is that the hearsay that gets, one? That one that gets you hearsay. Yes. Which is great. And it was, it was what was great about it is it was really entertaining and it was very nostalgic and brilliant. That's from the early 2000s. But what it was was really cruel. Mm. Uh, and that's quite a nice one. That was the BBC one. That wasn't X Factor. It wasn't mean. Um, but it was this sort of industrial camp. Yes. So bleak. Just people on trestle tables and, and like sort of folding chairs. Like a migrant processing camp. Really hopeful people coming through begging to be admitted to Pop Island and then being turned away. Papers, please. It was awful. And then you'd have that and then they'd Sophie's Choice it every so often where you'd have a duo, one of which was talented <laughs> yeah. one of which wasn't and it would be like, you can either be loyal to your friend or like publicly dump them now and say, yes, I will go solo. Which and one like, will you eat in the womb? Literally, yeah. It was, it was really, really edgy and what shocked us was, uh, A, it's lovely looking back at what feels like recent past and realising it's a long time ago. But it was the shift towards kindness mm. and realising that these reality formats, when you'd first enjoyed them, I mean, that's, it got a lot crueler than that. It's like watching early Big Brother, a lot kinder than, than peak Big Brother. Um, and this was fairly nice, but still quite brutal about the, the status. These elite people tell you you can't sing and then you are thrown back into the sea. And it was a real recognition of how much more different it is to watch TV now and see this repair shop, yes. first dates, the injection of surprising kindness mm. into cynical factory-made television is quite warming. Yeah, no, there's definite sense of restorativeness. And I think that's just because, I mean, you know, horribly, it's because people died, isn't it? I mean, people committed yeah. suicide. People were, were clearly driven mad by it. And kind of like the industry had to look at itself and sort of realise these actually are real stakes. Like, it's very easy when you're involved in a TV show, what's great TV? But like, yeah. Kim Marsh was talking recently because that series of pop stars, there's that shot where she's come back after Christmas and she's put on some weight. Yeah. And whoever one of the Svengalis is comes in and goes you need to lose weight before we shoot this video. And she's clearly horrified. You need to lose some weight. It's all right, Santa, all Christmas was there. and Well, the goose has gotten fat. Do you think I'm fat? Mm. I think you've put weight on over Christmas and I think you need, needed to lose weight before Christmas, yeah. Do you? Mm. And yeah. the camera just pans across and shows that there's a box of roses on the bedside table next to her. So everyone's complicit in it. Like the Svengali is telling her off for the fact yeah, she's lost yeah. weight. The cameraman's finding the box of chocolates and it's all very much... You know, you can't be a fat pop star. This is pre-Adele. I'm trying to remember which one it was. It might have been Sheryl Crow was saying that, like, when she was first offered the cover of Rolling Stone, within the offer of the cover of Rolling Stone was, well, you'll have to lose a stone before Jesus. you'll go on the cover. And, like, this is, these are women who've sold millions and millions of records. And it, it's so bound up in the fact that if you are a successful woman, you must also lose the weight. Like, there's a certain point where you're allowed to get this stuff. But if you talk to every woman that I know, generally, by and large, if you ask them how they were feeling when they're at their thinnest, they will go, I was completely insane. I was really? desperately unhappy. Like, kind of, that was when... Does it take a madness to maintain that? Does it take a sort of... I mean, because it's, it's very... You look at that and think how focused you have to be. And it is, it's very odd. It's a little bit like... The closest thing for men, I suppose, is 
that strange dehydrated ripped look that's the shirt off shot from a marvel film yes that you go that is now an icon of masculinity that even chris pratt has to follow and you know it's unnatural men i think are aware that no one looks like that unless they've not had any water in their system for two days mm-hmm. and then you realize oh god women have had that standard of beauty for 50, 60, 70 years. Always, yeah. There's never been, there's no golden age of the being. And like, so, you know, I'm just writing about this in the moment, the book that I'm writing at the moment's about men and uh, just talking about how recently, so bigorexia is a sort of increasing thing with men now. Younger men are just becoming obsessed with being very ripped. Yeah. Obviously, in the wake of Marvel movies and stuff, and they call it bigorexia, which doesn't really sound give it gets seriousness. This I is about as chocoholism. It doesn't work. No, the, it's the not bigorexia. It makes you sound like you're obsessed with Tom Hanks in the, the 1986 <laughs> movie. It's bigorexia, but um, <laughs> so men are becoming increasingly. And I was sort of going for the you know the generation below mine. Yeah, they've grown up with Marvel movies where you're seeing men like this. I grew up, and me and you, our generation, we grew up where the big action heroes were Indiana Jones. Mm. He's pretty fit for an archaeologist, a primarily yeah. desk bound activity, but he spends almost all of that movie fully clothed yeah. and quite often and when he's hand solo quite often he looks like he's about to lean on the wall of the falcon and just go i am knackered and like fag <laughs> it's very different kind yeah. of like role models that we got so there is a more golden age you know and carrie glant is always fully clothed you just don't see naked men in the way that you do now or sort of ripped men whereas for women there is no golden age where the yeah. chicks were wandering around the reason that marilyn monroe is so iconic for so many women is that the sentence that women say most to each other is look marilyn monroe was a size 16 when she was the sexiest lady in the world that's all we've got yeah, yeah. like for like 50 years all we've had is the sentence marilyn monroe was a size 16 and everybody fancied her that's all we've had because the rest of it is just people going you've got really lovely eyes <laughs> you've got a lovely personality you've got such a big heart and women know that's a diss now if i want to yeah. screw over like you know a sister or a friend i'll just go You've got lovely eyes. You've got a really kind heart because we know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you put on weight, babe. You've had a yeah. big Christmas. <laughs> With Kirby Bryce Boutique, when the subject of the, of the makeover opens her eyes, and it's a really simple makeover because she's saying put a dress on. Yeah. She's hoping to see something in the mirror that is impossible, which is they all want to look like Belle from and the Beast yes. or like Cinderella. They're all obsessed with the ladybird Cinderella or something. They, they, this is what they want. They want that. But that icon doesn't exist. And secretly, what they're saying is they they don't think they're going to look like that. They just don't want to feel as horrible as they normally feel. But that's the power of it, because what they're doing in that moment is such a, you know, you think it's just like, you know, a daytime reality makeover show. But in the moment where they finally look in the mirror and they found the dress and they feel happy in it, they have rewritten a massive part of their brain that has been there for all of their lives, which is kind of like, I think they have still presumed that the only way they're going to look happy when they look in the mirror is if they see a thin bride in a beautiful dress. And in that moment when they found the perfect dress, and it's not just the dress, it's the fact that they will have gone through a process talk, you know, often these women, it's the first time. So the recurrent things you hear when on okay, for Brides Boutique are one women going I've never been in a shop where everything would fit me Wow. the first time I went shopping for a uh, wedding dress the owner of the boutique said there's nothing here that'll fit you and just told me to leave like kind of like these are the things that you have been rejected again. I mean it's it's a thing that the society has spat you out yeah you've been so this is literally the first time you've ever been in a shop where everything fits you. Um, so I only been dress shopping once. It wasn't a shop that specialised in plus size brides. So it, some of the dresses just didn't suit me at all. Literally like a Teletubby in a wedding dress or a slug, as my mum said. And Ali and Joe will have like, often these women haven't said the word fat before. And there's so much heat right. in the word fat. You've only ever heard it said as a pejorative. And when you're in a boutique where all the dresses are for fat women and you've got two fat women dressing you and they're talking about fatness, they're taking all the heat out of it and all the poison out of it and just using it as a normal word and talking about these things. So by the end of this process, they've been there for a couple of hours. They've said the word fat 20, 30, 50 times for the first time without any of this poison and spite in it. They've accepted themselves. They've cried. Like the room is equal equally glitter, tool and tissues. Like this is a room that is just full of beauty and things to absorb tears because you will cry a lot. And then at the end of it, you've put on this dress and you look in the mirror and suddenly you are emotionally and physically in a position to rewrite a massive part of your brain, which is I'm looking in the mirror and I haven't turned into a thin bride in a beautiful dress. Yeah, I'm a fat bride in a beautiful dress. And that's okay. That's I've, I've won. You can be a beautiful bride that still has this body. There can be beautiful yes. fat brides. And that you can see the rewriting in their head going you on. You haven't had to kill that person you've been. It's basically what you're, what you're saying when, when someone sort of does radical dieting or whatever. They're kind of killing the person they are yeah. to become someone else. They're accepting that they had no value as the person they were. What you're watching is a magic trick. It's NLP, brilliant. hypnosis. It's literally this. Darren Brown shit. Totally. As in, 
you didn't have to change anything. You just need to change the way you felt. And they also, like the way that Joe and Ali, again, because you're in a shop that specialises in dealing with curvy bodies and fat brights, so they'll know all the things that women are scared about with the, right. having a big body, but you can't talk about anywhere else. So immediately they'll be saying chub rub. Like, do you have chub rub? So that's where, you're, where you don't have a thigh gap and your thighs rub together and mm. you can get a rash. It can be really uncomfortable and unpleasant and painful. So they'll be talking about chub rub. They'll give them like a pair of chub rub shorts. So they don't get chub rub anymore. The, these women might never even acknowledge this happens. You have to pretend that your thighs aren't rubbing together, even though they obviously obviously are they'll talk about back fat they had one bride on there once who wore two bras one in the front for her breasts and one at the back because she had so much back fat and back rolls that she had to wear a bra on her back to try and pull them in and joe and ali know about all this stuff they're just talking about it and the thing they know the most is that almost any woman i think but particularly big women are so terrified of their own upper arms like most women will think of their upper arms as being like an internal organ anyway. It's like it shouldn't be on display. There are, yeah. you know, the, the amount of women who are happy showing their upper arms, particularly as you get older, if you're big, is, is vanishingly tiny. So all these brides, the recurring trope in Curvy Brides Boutique is the women will come on and go, I'm thinking princessy, like kind of I want a champagne coloured dress, but it has to have sleeves. Yeah. I think sleeves are quite important for oh, me you as do well. Want I do want sleeves, right. yeah. So, oh, yeah, that's nice. And it's got... Pockets. I love a dress with a pocket. (laughs) This would not be hard to add a little sleeve to that. And Joe and Ali's mission is to go, okay, we'll put you in some sleeves, but I think you would look better in a sleeveless dress. Some kind of beautiful bustier thing. We'll put you in a corset and stuff, but let's show your upper Which is a princess dress. Yes. The moment you're not wearing a princess dress, you haven't achieved what you wanted. You won't look like a storybook princess because they don't have sleeves. Exactly. And so, and by the end of it, these women who will be like, you know, the first couple of dresses they try on, if they don't have sleeves, they'll be, you know, generally be making them sleeves or they'll give them a bolero or a cape or whatever. And you still have some women who at the end of it don't want to show their arms. But most of the time, the women have gone in this, astonishingly, in a couple of hours from I must be fully clothed or my flesh must be concealed to coming out in a completely sleeveless dress and looking at their upper arms for the first time and accepting that as well. It doesn't look like me. It just at that moment, it kind of just all smacked me in the face and just like hit me. Like, whoa, actually, you do look really good. It was um, an amazing feeling to think that I can actually look beautiful in a dress. And you're right, I haven't even looked at my arms. Well, also, I think another reason why, like, they so often cry in the show and why you as a viewer will so often watch it is that it's a very common thing for big girls, for for lots of women, but particularly big girls, to have not even realised that what they're thinking is, oh, my life hasn't started yet. Like, this isn't actually my life. Like, that's going to start at some later point because all the movies you see and the TV shows you see and the books that you read... A life for a woman is when you are thin and elegantly dressed and you're, you know, you're going off on mini breaks to Venice and kind of like being sporty and doing your yoga and walking And there might be a makeover in the film that is the hinge point at which the woman becomes a real... Always. Pinocchio style, a real girl. Every film about a woman has a makeover scene. So you are, and you know that until that point, your life hasn't started yet. And like, and you are, you can talk to women now who are in their thirties or forties. I would imagine there are women who are listening to this now who would be suddenly going, oh God, yeah, I didn't realise that consciously but that is how I feel my life hasn't started yet I'm presuming at some point I'll have the makeover and suddenly that'll be real me this is all the rehearsal to that this is all like the sort of the 20 minute sequence before the makeover in the movie and it's not this is like your life this is the last 30 or 40 years and that's the other thing that happens in Curvy Brides Boutique they the, when they found the dress and they know they can get married and they finally accept themselves they look in the mirror and go oh my life has started. This is it. My life had started. My life started when I was born. I'm in it. I'm finally becoming present in my body. I'm now not just thinking of myself as a disembodied head and a body that I'm ignoring. The whole thing joins up. I am me. I can look at myself in the mirror from head to toe and I know that I'm ready to get married. And it's such a huge thing. It's- what an incredible thing. to A, a programme that, that, that you might think was about dresses and it's not remotely about... They, I mean, they don't talk about the dresses hardly at all. It's not full of dressmaking language oh god no it's about psychology and it's about making people whole and that moment of wholeness and then sort of saying as you just said your life isn't about to begin a a wedding is a moment of a a hinge in life it's not about to begin it began ages ago and you just weren't invited it's a coming out process it is about identity it's about saying it's okay to be you I was watching one earlier on where a woman had brought in some dresses that she did like Mm. one of which was a size 10 and she was like I was kind of hoping I'd lose the weight and you went no, that would be being a different person. Literally this. And it's interesting you say coming out process because I think there's this there's also this thing and I've written about this that women 
when you're big and you're sort of like you know you're sort of coming into your teens and you know you're big you you're hoping you can keep it secret I can I, I can remember so when I so I didn't go to school for all my teenagers and then when I was 16 I went and did a, a course run by the council to learn how to make movies and stuff that the council run so it was the first time I'd left the house for years and I was at that point maybe size 22 and when I turned up on that first day I was just thinking maybe no one will notice maybe I can keep it secret like kind of like I, I can keep it secret no one will notice this somehow I can conceal the fact that I'm a size 22 if I just act normally maybe no one will notice yeah. and on the second day a boy sort of took me to one side he was like a sort of neggy classic lad and went so what was your nickname at school did they call you fatso and the heartbreak right. in that moment of going oh my god everyone will always notice but you have this it's weird it's like this two it's like having two completely opposing thoughts in your head at the t- at a time but you really hope and believe that you can keep being really big secret you can keep yourself secret and that's the other beautiful thing about curvy brides boutique there are all the secrets are told in here the women go in and they say this is why i'm big this is my history this is what i'm scared of (laughs) yes yeah there's my history look at a sour old bitch sitting on the sofa just going no 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 i had to cheat look she'll look too fat in that you know what your problem is you're too hippie no you want a big poofy dress let's remember i've got to fit down the aisle with you too right let's remember that i've got to walk you down that's not gonna happen i'm watching it on with hippos And it's all, there are no secrets in this room. They will talk about everything that terrifies them. They will look at every single part of their body. They will talk about their entire past. And after, after going through this beautiful process of a place where there are no secrets, they are not a secret anymore, they can find this perfect dress and look in the mirror and for the first time go, I look amazing and this is what a bride looks like. I thought somehow I would have to turn into someone else, but I'm not. I can just, at the end of this day, I've just realised that I, I'm here already. I was here all along. And that's why I cry. <laughs> What an incredibly, um, what an incredibly positive thing! It's a show about finally realising you're alive. Yes. No wonder it's comforting. Thank you so much for bringing Curvy Brides Boutique. Brilliant. <laughs> My pleasure. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe.